Hello! Welcome to episode 168 of Motorsport 101. This is the cold open of Motorsport 101. I'm RJ O'Connell, and I know what you're thinking. Where's Andre Harrison? Um, don't worry. He'll he'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. It is Tuesday, November 6th, midterm election day in the United States. Um, the Americans have taken over. And Ryan King is with me. Yes, um, I, I'm here. I did not get lost in a polling station. Yeah. Um, we'll, you'll know more about how this went in next week's episode. But it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be us for now. And before we start episode 168 of Motorsport 101, of course, um, our motorsport community um, on social media throughout the internet landscape, especially through all of us younger fans of racing, people who follow the sport to some degree, we're a very tight-knit family. Uh, the Motorsport 101 family is very tight-knit as well. And that's why we want to start this show by sending our best wishes to someone who's been a guest of our show multiple times has contributed written works to motorsport101.com hazel southwell um she disclosed uh, a couple of days ago that um her cervical cancer that was in remission is now back um hazel's in a hazel is uh going to fight this for all she's worth and uh i know hazel if you're listening to this we are all thinking about you and we're all hoping the absolute best and we know you kicked cancer's ass before, and you're going to do so twice as good again. Yeah, go get him. Absolutely. Hazel, we're all thinking of you, and uh, we'd like to dedicate this uh, this episode to you. Um, and thank you very much for everything that you've given uh, the entire motorsport world in, your, in the short time that you've been a part of it. Right. We have some general housekeeping to clean up with. Of course, uh, you can find Motorsport 101 at motorsport101.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you find your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. Chances are, if we are on a podcast platform, you can find us there. We are on youtube.com slash motorsport101. That's where you'll find highlights of most of our greatest hits from each and every episode or most episodes at least we're on facebook at motorsport 101 dot we're facebook.com slash motorsport 101 there we go um twitter.com at motorsport underscore 101 if you wish to follow us we're at harris 101 hd at rj o'connell and ryan eric king that's with two k's and for those of you wanting to back the show financially a $5 pledge on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 gets you early access to both this show and to bike live on the motorsport 101 networks where you'll still be able to hear Andre Harrison because he is not missing this, uh, this latest round of bikes for the world. Are you kidding me? <laughs> In fairness, bikes are good and they're actually delivering uh, actual content. It happened over the past week and you'll see, and you'll hear that on the next episode of motorsport of uh, bike live. Uh, $5 gets you early access to both shows, and for $10, you can listen to both these shows as they're being recorded. Hello, Adam. Hello, Black and Mild. Hello, Cam. Hello, James. Hello, Steve. Thank you all very much for listening in. King, let's cut to the chase. We're, uh, we're very thin on content this week, uh, are we not? Uh, a bit thin, but I think we got it pretty much the same line I give to Dre every time that he says, guys, we're not going to have enough content for a show anytime there's not been any racing. 
And what is that line? Oh, uh, we're definitely going to run over. <laughs> well, just in case, and we alluded to this on episode 167, um, because we don't have an F1 race that happened the last weekend, which we can talk slash malaise and grouse about slash gush over. Uh, IndyCar's been out of season for a couple of months. Uh, those are the main breads and or butters of Motorsport 101 these days with uh, with bikes having their own show and Formula E not starting until December. Um, we called upon the mailbag. And we didn't expect to get this many questions. So to help streamline the process as we get through all the news of the day, we're going to pull questions from the mailbag as they come up in all of our topics on the show. Um, we got a lot of IndyCar news, a lot of F1 news. We got a little bit of Formula E, Road to Indy, even supercars. And, of course, we're going to talk about things that will happen. The Brazilian Grand Prix this coming weekend, the Super GT Finale at Twin Ring with Tegi, and the 2018 Autosport Awards nominees. Because who doesn't love grousing about the awards nominees for award shows? Yeehaw! <laughs> I should not shoot my voice up that high while I have strep throat. <laughs> that was a mistake. Playing through the pain like Jordan the flu game. All right. So um, after this quick musical interlude, we'll start with uh, we'll start with the news. start actually with some some very sad news from the world of IndyCar racing that uh Indianapolis Motor Speedway matriarch Mary Holman George uh passed away recently at the age of 83 um she died on November 3rd that was this uh this past Saturday as we're recording this at 83 years old um Mary served as the chairman of Indianapolis Motor Speedway from 1988 to 2016, but her involvement with IndyCar goes all the way back to her time as a young woman where she was uh, she was a part-team owner throughout the 1950s and 1960s, actually fielding cars for some of the best drivers in the circuit at the time. If I look down the list of names of drivers that she had fielded, I mean, Eddie Sachs, an accomplished, uh, an accomplished AAA and USAC Sprint and National Championship car driver. Same with Tony Bettenhausen. Uh, her husband, Elmer George, uh, even drove for her team at one point. Um, after that, of course, she became, a, uh, became the chairman of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And most fans will know her as, uh, as, the chair, as the person who gave the command to start engines from the late 1990s until 2015. Um, there was also a very poignant moment as well. This came in 1991. Um, many will remember this uh, not just as the 75th anniversary of the Indianapolis 500, but there's a photo of her embracing Willie T. Ribs on pit lane after he locked in his place to become the first African-American driver to qualify for the 500-mile race which was a massive milestone moment uh, for motorsport in general. Uh, Mary Holman George was a, was a tireless philanthropist who came back um, all over the state of Indiana for many, many causes. 
Um, and during her tenure as chairman of the board at IMS, I mean, Indianapolis Motor Speedway became more than just the 500. It also expanded uh, to include the Brickyard 400 for NASCAR, the U.S. Grand Prix for the Formula One World Championship, and a MotoGP round at Indianapolis as well. Massive renovations to the facility in the early 90s that create the uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that we know and love today. Um, it doesn't it doesn't get appreciated often how much Mary Holm and George gave to the Speedway in her time as the chairman of the track for almost 30 years. And I think we're, we're all going to miss her a lot. Yeah. It's definitely a hole that's not going to get filled. I mean, she, you know, handed down the chairmanship of the speedway to her son, but she was still a big part of the speedway and the, the outpouring of, you know, well wishes and condolences kind of, you know, tells the whole story. She touched the lives of countless Hoosiers throughout the state of Indiana through tireless philanthropic efforts through her entire adult life, a special focus on the arts, healthcare, and in particular, animal care. Um, Mary Holman George was 83 when she passed away on November the 3rd, and we wish the entire George family our sincere condolences at this time. Now, we did have some news we alluded to in the last episode of Motorsport 101 as we gave a, a health update on the status of uh, Robert Wickens. Um, and we now know of who will, in some respects, be taking the place of Robert Wickens, though we will say that the number six car at Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport will be left open for when Robert Wickens is able to come back. Because the number seven car at Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport's a full-time ride is five-year Formula One veteran Marcus Erickson joining the team for the full 2019 season. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Smith-Peterson got an active Formula One driver. It wasn't Fernando Alonso, but this might as well be the next best thing. Yeah, this was, uh, this was actually announced the... Uh, I believe this came out the day after we had recorded episode 167 when this was just a uh, newly circulating rumor and we weren't sure about it at the time, uh, but now it's official. He'll drive the number seven Honda Delar for the 2019 IndyCar Series season. Um, by the time this 2018 F1 season ends, Erickson will have made 97 Formula One starts. Um, his best finish will have been eighth in the 2015 Australian Grand Prix, unless he betters that in the final two races of the season. Um, it's easy to forget because we always joke about Marcus being the Ericsson line, the proverbial Mendoza line for F1 drivers between uh, borderline competence and sheer incompetence. But Ericsson had some very strong creden credentials that helped him get the way to F1. You know, he was Formula BMW champion of Great Britain in 2007. He won the Formula 3 title in Japan in 2009. Um, of course, at one point, he was managed by a man that is very, very familiar to people within the uh, the IndyCar community, and that is uh, 1999-8500 winner Kenny Brack, who helped him get his way up the ladder into uh, to Formula 1, um, where he's raced for the last five seasons. Um, I mean... King, what do you make of this move? Do you think it's a good fit? Uh, 
Yeah, I think it is a good fit in some ways. Uh, in some ways, Smith Peterson signed the best available driver in in some respects, where uh, Marcus Erickson was out of a ride because uh, both sour seats got taken up by Kimi Raikkonen and, and T- Antonio Giovinazzi, so he was already going to be you know third driver on the sidelines, and you know, it the IndyCar is. I, w- I would say, though things, you know, cool down at the later parts of the season, it was kind of like the the hot place to be if you're a racing driver. Oh, definitely. IndyCar has proven that, you know, um, that with the right attitude, even if you've not shown much success anywhere else, um, because we've seen great F1 drivers go to IndyCar and be great. We've seen... Uh, mediocre F1 drivers go to IndyCar and be great. And we've seen great F1 drivers go to IndyCar and be mediocre to average at best. Um, In Erickson's case, you know, this is a driver who has never finished better than eighth in a Formula One Grand Prix. He only has 18 career points, and he's about to top his best career points haul of nine points in a season uh, with two races left in a season. You know, we make the point that, oh, he was outperformed to some degree by the likes of Kamui Kobayashi, Andre Lauderer, Felipe Nazar, Pascal Fairline, and most recently Charles Leclerc. How good can this guy be? I'll tell you, you know, Erickson's a multi-time GP2 race winner. He's a Formula 3 champion. Um, and I think most refreshingly is he brings an attitude that he wants to be here, that he wants to relish this new challenge that he's being given in a new series, something different. He wants to race, um, and he's coming at it with an absolutely positive attitude. Like I, I feel like he wants to be a part of this. Yeah, it feels like he wants to be a part of this. I think I would really compare him to the last driver to race for Spit Peterson in the number seven, Mikhail Oshin. Because mm-hmm. I, I, that was a weird thing that the seven car kind of disappeared because Robert Wickens kind of pushed to use his DTM number, the number six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, the seven was only fielded for Jay Howard this past season. Before that, it was Mikhail Lotion's car. And uh, when it was the 77, it was Tristan Vogier's. I th- and, of course, Schmidt-Peters and Motorsport. I mean, if you're if you're talking about a, uh, of a team that, you know, if you're coming into a new series and you feel like you're going to have success in... Um, what better place to come in than uh, than to Schmidt Peterson Motorsport, a multi-time race-winning organization with a veteran teammate in James Hinchcliffe alongside, a team that has made a massive recruiting drive for engineering this past season. Um, they they have ambitions of you know maybe one day challenging the reign of the big three: Penske, Ganassi, and Andretti. Uh, I think they're as close to anyone as there as they can get, and with a uh, Marcus Erickson and that team. It would be tough for him to replicate the form that Robert Wickens had last season, um, but I feel like podiums will be his way. Top 10 finishes will come his way, um, and it's also going to be interesting to see how he tackles the new challenges, some of the bumpier street circuits of America, his first competitive races on ovals. He's definitely got the team around him to succeed, and I think he's got the right attitude to do so. Yeah, and like, it, it it's weird because despite... Everything that happened last, like everything that happened last season, it was Smith Peterson's best season since Simon Pagano finished third for them in 2013. Yeah, 
how easily we forget that in the time that's that Simon's been at Penske, which feels like no time at all. Uh, Marcus Hoare asked us, with Marcus Erickson moving to IndyCar, is there anyone else from the European ladder, I'm guessing Formula 1, Formula 2, GP3, um, European F3, that you could see moving over to IndyCar soon on? Ooh. And I'll actually tie this to a question that Henry asked. If you were to start a two-car IndyCar team for 2019, who would be your drivers? My ideal team would be Scott Ditson and uh, someone who was a free agent at the time. It's Esteban Ocon, who has at one point been linked to one of the Dale coin seats. Yeah, I think Ocon would be a good look. But yeah. if I had to, man, it would be hard for me to pick. Uh... You know, Brendan Hartley was very close. Yeah, Hartley was very close to... The to deal was done. Yeah, We made a done. point of this many times throughout the show. I'll tell you, um, you know, I know it'll be tough, uh, but Artem Markolov would be a whole lot of fun for this series. And hey, you know, if McLaren still wants to get into IndyCar, but they can't convince Fernando Alonso to come on board... Nick DeVries wouldn't be a bad fit because he's basically been there for about a decade. Yeah, and it's... Because I know the the rumors of Carlin expanding to a third car have mainly been focused around Jordan King getting that seat. What if, say, another former Carlin driver who is also, uh, we'll get to it later down the road, is also now with McLaren as well, gets that third full-time seat, Sergio Sete Camera. Yeah. Or, yeah. let's see, if I had to do a two-car team from scratch with two new drivers, maybe I'd probably lean towards uh, Artem Markolov and, ooh, hmm, maybe Jack Aiken. Oh, yeah, Jack Aiken is not a bad shout. Um, accomplished uh, GP3 driver has won a race in Formula 2 this year. And I'll tell you, and I, and I may have said this before on a previous episode, especially after he won in Monza, if there aren't any opportunities for Formula One, and if Honda needs a replacement for Takuma Sato to represent him as their face of IndyCar in Japan, Tadasuke Makino would not be a bad fit at all. Not by a yeah, long shot. Was, yeah, that would not be bad at all. Yeah. So those are some drivers that we feel like could make uh, easy changes from the European ladder over into IndyCar and any one of them. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Ryan DeVeter could come back. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, it's sounds like it's going to be a good move. Um, we also have other um, administrate and oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention y'all, this IndyCar rookie class is stacked. Now, granted, this is even without catching the, the 50 foot long megalodon that's sitting at the bottom of the ocean you know him as fred fernando alonso he's looks like he's not coming full-time we know he's not coming full-time heck he may just want to do the indianapolis 500 to be done with it but out of this rookie class now that you have marcus erickson you have him added into a rookie class that also has colton herta and Patricia Ward, who are two of the most exciting young prospects to come out of the road to Indy in a long time. And you have Felix Rosenquist, who has won in everything he has raced ever since he has graduated Formula 3 and is going to Chip Ganassi race and be teammates with Scott Ditson. With just those four drivers alone, Erickson at Schmidt-Peterson, Rosenquist at Ganassi, 
uh, Colton and Patricio at uh, at Harding Steinbrenner Racing. That is an awesome rookie class that they've assembled. Yeah, I think who I probably put it on par with the 2012 rookie class, where it's like the, the rookie class is going to be that good. Where I think that rookie class, what it was, Simon Pagano, Joseph mm-hmm. Newgarden, uh, yeah, Catherine Legg. Uh, yeah. Pagano won Rookie of the Year. Uh, but, by a mile. <laughs> yeah, because Joseph Newgarden was still on a team that was very much under-equipped. Um, Catherine Legg was the only tangentially full-time driver. We also had ours given to Wade Cunningham, Giorgio Pontano, the late great Brian Clausen, and Jean Lacy. <laughs> <sighs> I think this may be the best rookie class we've come across, uh, in the time since I've started to watch IndyCar again, I think this might be the best one. Yeah. Especially if they all make good on the potential they possess, especially with their respective teams. Yeah, because uh, arguably that rookie class is going to be far... They're going to be in much better equipment than the 2012 class, I think. Uh, I think 2011 was Hinch and Hildebrand, where like they're still like going to be in better equipment than those two when they came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, um, that was with uh, Hinch on a pretty much dead-on-its-legs Newman Haas team that was about to see the end, and um, I want to say it was uh, it was Hildebrand who was with Panther Racing, who were yes. race winners, <laughs> but the end would not be too far behind for them, shall we say. Yeah. It's going to be it's gonna be a good rookie class. And, very, uh, very good. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about Santucci for Reno, who maybe if the check's clear, it might be a factor in it as well. Ah, but that's a big if. Yeah, it's a wait and see. Marco Andretti. We love him. We sometimes make fun of him for not reaching up to the lofty potential of his grandfather and father. But the one thing that we can tell you is that Marco Andretti, for, for all of the criticism, valid or otherwise, that we've given him, he's dedicated to making this IndyCar thing work. So dedicated that he announced that he's going to become part owner of the number 98 car, which is going to have a uh, a very long official entry list, if I am not mistaken. <laughs> and yes, it is not mistaken. This entry um, is officially going to be recognized as <clears throat> Andretti Herta Autosport with Marco Andretti and Curb Agajanian. The longest of names. And it's not like, it's not even like Marco Andretti's at the end of his career. He's only like, what, 31, 32, he I believe? He turns 32 on March 13th of 2019. He is still in his early 30s. He yeah, has already he has a long run, time left. He has already run 201 races, and he has just barely crossed the 30 threshold. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you start your career at under the age of 20 at IndyCar. Right. Yes. So Marco Andretti is going to be part owner of this car. Um, And credit to Marco, you know, where he's had a couple of tough seasons. He bounced back big time in 2018, had a couple of top five finishes, finished a solid and respectable ninth place in the points. Um, And of course, he always seems to run Indianapolis very, very well. He's come close to winning this race a couple of times, always there or thereabouts. Um, I think it would be, and, you know, this puts him in the uh, 
pretty elite category of of owner drivers on the circuit. Of course, there is Ed Carpenter, and if Lazier Partners Racing ever comes back, there is them as well. Um, but you know, you don't usually think of an owner driver as being somebody who's still very much in the prime of their career and still has a lot left to give to the sport as a driver. Yeah, because what feasibly is ten years left if you wanted it. If you wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a good port. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking now that that this uh, that this name <laughs> the name of this team cannot be said without clapping like. Andretti heard of Autosport with Marco Andretti and Kerbagajanian. I've got to put a quarter in the swear jar. Sorry, Chris. We're sorry for infringing upon your gimmicks. It's going to be a good time. Oh, very good. I'm going to pull another question from the, uh, from the mailbag, if you don't mind. Um, let's see. This one is from, hello, Adam Johnson. <clears throat> If F1 and IndyCar did a trade deal similar to UFC trading Demetrius Johnson to one fighting championship and getting Ben Askren in return, which former champion or top six driver would you trade from F1 to IndyCar and vice versa? Ooh. I know what I would be going for. I would want a driver who has mass appeal to come to IndyCar. So I'm, I'm of course, taking Lewis Hamilton. And plugging him into a to Penske or Ganassi car because the people who already have shop have it should have more of it. But how would you be able to give F one a fair deal in return? They're gonna have to get somebody big. Joseph Newgarden. He's still young, he's successful, you put him in the top flight team. I feel like that boy's gonna do amazing things. Yeah, I think that'd be I think that'd be a good deal for everyone involved. Yeah, Joseph brings personality. He is an incredibly multiversal talent. Um, he, he he would I think it would relish the challenge, especially if you put him in one of the big three cars at a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or Red Bull. Yeah, that would be something. Yeah, and it'd pretty much be a race between the two to see who could, you know, be the first IndyCar and F1 champion since Nigel Mansell. Oh man. Especially if you put Lewis Hamilton in that kind of equipment. Um I, I think it would have like a, a Mansell esque rookie season where he wins the championship on debut. <laughs> I think it would also really relish the challenge of ovals. Now speaking of things that are not ovals, uh IndyCar completed its first test at Circuit of the Americas. People seem to really like it, especially from the uh visor cam of Tony Kanan's car. Um, as he was hustling the much heavier uh, Delara D uh, IndyCar through the uh, through some of the more technical and faster corners of uh, Circuit of the Americas, it looks like they're not gonna do anything different with the layout. It's still gonna be the same F1 layout for better or for worse. I know people for some reason just don't like the Coda layout as it is. I think it's fine, and I think it's going to make a good race. And I think if they're if they want to if they put people in the stands that'll come to watch it, because that's the tricky thing about Coda. Apart from F1 and MotoGP, sometimes Coda has trouble putting people into the gates, does it not? Yeah, it does. Where like whether it be when they tried out supercars there, WEC, IMSA only last a couple of years. Uh, I like 
I think sports cars tend not to work because people aren't, you know, massive fans of, you know, endurance racing. Uh, I think supercars didn't work because it supercars felt really short notice. Like, it felt like the deal was announced and then six months later they were there and, you know, supercars don't really have that big of a profile here in the U.S., Tony Kanan said, I didn't know what to expect, but it's very fun and challenging when he tested the track for the first time. The blind corners, especially going up the hill for turn one, especially. When you're watching from the outside, you think, yeah, it looks steep, but if, from inside the car, it looks a lot steeper. Trying to find my way there, I was like, whoa, where's the apex? After you get used to it, it's a lot of fun. It's a braking zone that every time you think you can go quicker, but when you try harder, it's too much. Alexander Rossi, of course, drove this track in 2015 at the U.S. Grand Prix, said, you expect a lot more fun and a lot more assets. That access. That's the big thing. In Formula One, you're watching some of the fastest race cars on the planet, but there's a big discrepancy between 1st and 20th. In IndyCar, the top 15 may be within 7 or 8 tenths of a second. That guarantees a great show no matter what. And beyond that, the fans get up close to the cars and the drivers and interact on a different level and build a connection with the drivers and the teams, which is unique to IndyCar and something we pride ourselves on. So I think with that in their back pocket, I think they could uh, draw quite a bit of a crowd to Circuit of the Americas for the first IndyCar race here in 2019. Um, they just got to get the people in the gates because everything else is sounding like it's going to be a slam dunk hit. Yeah, pretty much like... The drivers like it. It it should provide for good racing. All 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 they gotta do is hopefully get the people through the gates. Yeah, and I've heard complaints about Coda. It's it's too much of a Europe modern European tilt drome to fit on the IndyCar calendar. One of the thing is like this race is typically like usually pretty good, even if it's down years on the F1 calendar. So imagine how the Indy cars are gonna race there. Yeah, it's, I think, the way it's laid out, like, people complain about the Toka drones, but they're designed to provide the best racing for modern single-seater racing cars, and it generally delivers. <sighs> yes, indeed, and, mm, yeah, it's it's gonna be a good time. I, fe- I genuinely feel it. They just gotta get the people in the gates. Um... Now, something uh, something much older. Um, King, when you think of Australia, what do you usually think about? Ooh. Well, first thing that comes to mind is Bathurst. That's like the first... I say Australia, just Bathurst just pops into my head. I was... Um, hmm. Let's see. I was going to say Tim Cahill. <laughs> Tim Cahill. Oh, the yes. Late, the late, great Steve Irwin. Um, let's see, um, what remains of Holden automobiles before they eventually became a full-on importer. Um, and also, the Gold Coast Indy, the, uh, the street race that happened on the streets of Surfer's Paradise, uh, in Queensland, Australia. Well, Queensland, Australia has been without this street race for a while. Yeah, they've had it as a supercars event, among many other things, but... Their government has invited IndyCar CEO Mark Miles for discussions of reviving this race at Surfer's Paradise. And once we heard about that, oh, buddy, IndyCar Twitter lit up like a Christmas tree on December 23rd. (laughs) Because I think think Surfer's has always been one of the iconic IndyCar rounds ever since it debuted in the early 90s, where it, I don't know, it... 
it's it's been iconic for a variety of reasons. For number one, good racing. Number two, controversial moments. <laughs> oh, such as? Such as the uh, 94 event, where during the race broadcast, during one of the safety car periods, they cut to a press conference uh, with Tony George, where Tony George announced, oh, announces yes. the formation of the Indy Racing League. <laughs> oh, yes. And then, of course, I, I think back as well to 2002, a race that started with a multi-car pileup and ended with Michael Andretti probably getting his last win taken away from him because he was on the way out and instead of them handling it to Mario Dominguez, who plowed his way through that pileup and picked up his first Damn. of multiple career victories. And, oh, speaking of Michael Andretti... Uh, that same race in 94, Michael Andretti got his first win back from his return yes. from, from his ill-fated year in F1. So with all that said, Surfers, Par- Surfers Paradise, a track that has been uh, been beloved by IndyCar fans of a certain age, our age, and a little bit older, as soon as 2020, it could be back on the IndyCar calendar, according to the Gold Coast Bulletin newspaper. Um, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has extended the invite to IndyCar CEO Mark Miles as part of an ambitious vision to revive the once-booming Gold Coast Indy event. Reportedly centered around a February date, we'd hope to have the series back on the streets as soon as 2020. Now, this would, uh, this would take quite a bit of money, would it not? Yes, because, again... This race was, when this race was first organized, this was during a massive boom period, during the pretty much peak of CART, where pretty much the FIA threatened to shut down CART because they were racing outside of North America. But, yeah, uh, it was the first race of an international expansion, and I believed it was, what I would say, eight figures in the 90s, so, like... (laughs) I don't know. It would probably be that much now, maybe more. Yeah, we'd be you'd be looking at at least thirty-five million was the original quote. I mean, they're gonna have to do extensive renovations to the circuit because a lot has changed in ten years. They may have to change some things with the uh, with the familiar track. Of course, Supercars runs a shorter version of the IndyCar track that was used from nineteen ninety one to two thousand and eight. Um, and they could also potentially incorporate a NASCAR race into its Gold Coast event in the near future, as demonstrated by uh, by Scott McLaughlin doing demo laps in a Joey Logano uh, Sprint Cup car. Excuse me, Monster Energy Series Cup car. Let's just call it a cup car. <laughs> a cup car. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. It's early days, but I think it would be wonderful if we get the signature bet back in Australia, says Premier Palaszczuk. And... Um, I think we can d- safely say that that would be a that would be awesome to see. Yeah, it'd be awesome to see because I don't know people are tr- pining for the return of traditional venues, and strangely enough, this little street track out in Queensland, Australia, is traditional. I'm gonna pull another question from the bag. This one comes from Len M4. Uh, which non-U.S. tracks do you think IndyCar would produce great races? Uh, parentheses, Suzuka Circuit would be incredible. I wholeheartedly agree. So we got Surfer's Paradise on tap for return. You know, one person has said Suzuka would be a good fit. Um, King, I'll, I'll hand it over to you to start off with. If you could take up a non-US and uh, just, just to add the challenges, 
Canada, Mexico also come off the board. So, okay, so, so nothing no in North the North America. Nothing in the uh, in the contingent North America. Ooh. Mm. My gut feeling would be I would really like to see the it's it's been rumored but not at the specific venue, but it, it's rumored that IndyCar could be going to Argentina and I think I think uh, Rio Honda were uh where MotoGP goes in in Argentina would mm-hmm. be a great venue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, um, if if F one is cool with letting uh, IndyCar race at Coda, I think they should also be cool with letting them race in Sao Paulo, but not on the streets. If they can't get that together, um, just saying, Interlagos would be good. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a fun like Southern Hemisphere swing. Interlagos, Rio Hondo, uh, Surfers Paradise. I'm also I'm trying to think of what else might be a might be a very good fit. So we got Argentina, we got Brazil. You know, we discussed tracks in Argentina, Japan. Um, I'll tell you what else. You know, and this was a track that was originally thought to have a kart race way back in the day. Fuji Speedway, that long, long front straightaway oh. would be fun in those cars. Yeah. And then you have to counterbalance that with the high-speed sweepers of the 100R and uh, Coca-Cola <laughs> Curve. Oh, buddy, oh. that would be fun. And I'll tell you what would be even be more fun, you know, how they have that chicane in the third sector. There's like a, uh, there's like a quicker, just like a single right-hand corner that they always seem to bypass for some reason in favor of having that chicane. Now, I know why they have it there. It's for safety reasons, but what if they were able to just bypass that chicane and just take that single right-hand corner? That'd make, that'd make it even more appealing, to be honest. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, Kailami in South Africa has also been proposed in the chat by, uh, by Steve Ryan. Um, Pukekoe, which will come up with in a uh, in a future segment. Um, Silverstone has also come up. It was uh, yeah a lot of good choices for venues outside of the United States. Which, if IndyCar wants to re-expand internationally, they've definitely got some good choices to pick from. And speaking of international things in IndyCar, um, King, this is something that came up just recently. Um, international media rights are now going to be managed in-house by the new IndyCar media organization. Um, now, King, have you been uh, been reading up a little bit on this, I take it? Yeah, I've been reading up on it. So basically, uh, the biggest difference to, you know, international viewers will be how the feed looks. So I don't know if you've ever seen any of, like, uh, BT Sports coverage of any car or anything like that, because ESPN International produces the world feed, uh, they always use ABC graphics, which, you know, tends to look out of place, and generally they have localized commentary and things that, you know, you generally see in, you know, different countries for different feeds. Though this new broadcasting deal will see production brought in-house, so we're, we'll most likely see, uh, NBC-style graphics for not only, obviously, here in the U.S., but internationally. Thank goodness, because when we're talking about ABC graphics, we're not talking about the current graphics packages that you might have been used to in recent years. We're talking about, like, 10-year-old 
ESPN <laughs> graphics packages that they've still been rolling out in the year 2018. Though, I'm pretty sure this year was the year they finally updated it. But, you know, oh, it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah, that's that's done and dusted. We're going to have... Uh, we're going to have much better uh, international distribution. The production's going to be a lot better. And, hey, if Fernando Alonso really is keen on buying those Spanish TV rights, uh, he's got a good product to work with. <laughs> he's got a good product to work with. They said that they're going to try to even more localize uh, broadcast to specific markets. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but usually for most other international sports, especially uh, mentioning uh, most of the stories that I've seen mention when Mark Miles used to head up the ATP, the, Associate, the Association of Tennis, Tennis Professionals. Yeah. So basically on their localized broadcast that uh, obviously tennis, they're usually in a tournament, most like there are multiple matches going on at one time. So usually broadcast would f- localized broadcast would focus on athletes from that market. So let's say hypothetical situation, there's a localized British feed, they'll most likely focus on, you know, Carlin and Max Chilton and Ed Jones and and Scuderia Corsa ECR. (laughs) You know, if you have, uh, you know, the races in Gaura would basically just be like laser locked into Takuma Sato. Um, The races in Brazil would, of course, you have a lot of uh, Tony Kanan and Elio Castroneves and Mateus Leist. But obviously, it would not be all about them. They would still, you know, still try to push the big stars to, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't be like Fuji Television in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> oh, God. Shoutouts to the Satoru Nakajima camp. But they also mentioned that IndyCar's, like, IndyCar already had in, in-house production uh, for... I did not know that they still had a deal with the PBR. <laughs> the Professional Bull Riders Association. In addition, uh, IMS Productions also does similar work for Makeup Auctions. That would be the uh, the car auction shows that you see um, every now and then on NBCSN when it's like 4 o'clock in the morning and they have nothing else to air. They also do this for the Indiana Pacers as well as the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> That that's probably the most shocking one, the LA Lakers. Huh. Well, with all that experience, I think I think international fans of IndyCar are gonna get a good deal. Now yeah. now the UK just needs to find a place that'll broadcast it. Yeah, that's that's kind of the bigger issue that kind of gets glossed over in this, where uh they've still yet to sell the overseas rights to anyone. <laughs> Yeah, we know that uh, we know that IndyCar in the United Kingdom for our fans who they're including friend of the show Zoe Hamilton. Um, it's it's been a struggle to get an IndyCar coverage in the UK, would it not be? Yeah, it's, it's been a struggle. Yeah, though them cutting ties with ESPN and bringing it in house really, it really you know starts you know raising flags a little bit that hey. NBC NBC Sports Gold IndyCar might be available overseas mm-hmm. because pretty much no one else has any connection to the rights overseas but IndyCar now. Thomas Webb actually brings up a good point before we get into our next segment of the IndyCar news section. Since we live in the age of streaming and people paying more, how much money would it cost to stream everything? 
from Formula One to bikes to dirt ovals to touring cars. Oh, dear. I don't think we did enough prep on this one, but we'll start off with the big two. That would be F1, a full year of F1 TV and a full year of MotoGP Video Pass. Um, I could tell you that if a, I want to say a full season of F1 TV was 80 bucks this year. Am I right? Yeah, it was 80 bucks for F1. Let me look up Video Pass right now. Video Pass is... Ooh, I don't know how much a full year would cost, yeah. but based on this, it would probably be around $115. Yeah, so you're looking at, if you at least want the big two, you're looking at about $200 to start off with. Now keep in mind, you were also potentially potentially leaving off the WEC and that's tricky because we know that mo- that WC coverage is also geo-blocked on the WC app if you live in North America you would have to get I want to say it's the Velocity Channel or is it part of Motor Trend On Demand and Motor Trend On Demand uh, is at least cheap yeah Motor Trend On Demand is cheap you'd have to get it through them yeah it's uh it's super cheap I want to say it's like five bucks a month yeah, five dollars. So you'd be month. looking at sixty sixty dollars, and that gives you a lot of content. Which, granted, a lot of it should not be behind a paywall anyway. Uh, does NASCAR have an over-the-top streaming service? No, they don't. And yeah, they don't. You'd have to. Yeah, that's kind of the issue with NASCAR. Where if you would want to watch NASCAR over the top, you have to go through each broadcaster so you'd have to go through fox and abc yeah and how much could that run you if you're trying to cut the cord Ooh, uh i think you'd be able to do it through youtube tv yeah so i it would be probably like for a year it'd be a hundred dollars yeah so if you want all the big stuff you're looking at about a minimum of I want to say that's about $350 a year minimum. Yeah, and you add, you throw in another 60 Well, uh, good thing about Australian supercars, they offer Superview to everyone, no matter where you are. Uh, and it's still $59.95, uh, uh, equivalent in Australian dollars, wherever you live. Hmm. So, yeah, I'll just round that up to 60 do the quick conversion... That'd be actually wow. That'd only be forty three fifty. Ah, yeah, yeah. So it would it would seem like a lot over time, but keep in mind that's over a year long period. That would break down about like maybe less than less than thirty dollars a month, right around thirty dollars yeah. a month. And you could really like depending on how much F one you want to watch, you could just you know push. Push that, watch through ABC, also on, uh, you know, YouTube TV. So, you, depending on what you want to watch, the, the prices will drastically vary. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Um, speaking, of, speaking of the internet and people who should maybe consider logging off, Paul Tracy. Paul, Paul <laughs> Tracy. One of the most dynamic and colorful personalities of the golden era of the kart slash champ car world series. 
beloved as the working man's driver, the uh, the 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 face of Champ Car's rebellion against potential mergers and acquisitions from IndyCar that would inevitably come about five years down the road. Paul Tracy is a lot of things. He was, in the peak of his power, a great driver. He is, at times, a very colorful and uh, and concise television analyst. And he is also a bit of a douche nozzle. Yeah. And, wow. I, I think this incident... If true, allegedly, it's most likely true, but allegedly, if this is probably one of the worst things Paul Tracy has been involved in. On Tuesday of this week, uh, this coming from friend of the show Elizabeth Worth for Jalopnik.com. Hello, Elizabeth. On Tuesday of this week, (laughs) Tracy allegedly made a Facebook comment where he told Indianapolis resident Chris Cunningham they'd invited illegal immigrants to a party at Cunningham's house where they would listening to Cunningham play a mini guitar, then they're going to sexually assault your wife, then you. Yikes! This has now led Tracy to be under investigation by NBC. And when approached by the Indianapolis star who first broke the story, Tracy denied making the comment. Instead, he claimed to be the victim of fake social media accounts, one of which was responsible for the comment on Cunningham's post, I was hacked, bro! (laughs) Oh, dear. And, uh, yeah, this isn't the first time that Tracy has been a loose cannon online. Of course, um, he came under scrutiny just very recently um, for releasing incorrect information about uh, Robert Wicken's injuries, um, speculating when uh, when Tracy should not have done so. That took both Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports and Wickens himself to uh, to clarify the situation. Yeah, it's... I... It, it feels like Paul Tracy doesn't know how to be a professional. Like, I'll say this as well, um, and it was brought up, and I read this on the, Indy, uh, the IndyCar subreddit. If you go back and listen to... Uh, the Paul Tracy episode of Dinner with Racers. Um, it comes up that Tracy sometimes just doesn't know how to handle scrutiny. Like, he'll lie to keep the press off of him, especially, you know, think back to, I want to say it was 2007 where he missed a significant chunk of time because he wrecked a golf cart and messed up his back, if I recall. I'm, I want to go look this up, but basically, Tracy had a uh, had a propensity to just uh, to lie to the press to try and keep the heat off of him. Yeah, and oh my god, there are so many aspects of the story that are you know ridiculous. Uh, number one, this is like he's been hacked. Like, first off. This is someone you know. This is not like some random stranger, Paul Tracy. This is someone who's your neighbor. <laughs> That's your neighbor, dude. And and, it, and of course, Tracy has also posted multiple... Um, he's contributed to various political conspiracies in the past few years on his Instagram page, as well as added to racial stereotypes by um, posting one of his old press pictures from when the team was sponsored by... Um, by a British American tobacco brand um, of menthol cigarettes um, that was captioned with the phrase Happy MLK Day, everyone. 
Uh, oh no. We we let this person become a citizen. He's well again, he is an immigrant. He's from Canada. He is the he is the thrill from West Hill, but now it's gonna be thrilling to see whether or not Tracy's <laughs> going to have his going to have his job as a television analyst through the end of the month. Yeah, because this is a really, really important time for NBC because they're going to be broadcasting the series full-time, including becoming the first broadcaster other than ABC to ever broadcast the Indianapolis 500. And do they want Paul Tracy to be the face of that broadcast? I think it's beyond, uh, I think it's beyond keeping at this point, especially if this picks up steam. And also, you know, NBC has, IndyCar and NBC in general will have a deep, deep talent pool of people they can get other than Paul Tracy. Yeah. Um, for instance, you know, if Steve Matchett's not doing anything, when Steve Matchett was in the uh, IndyCar booth, he really enjoyed it. I think it would be a great fit. And I, it might be a tough get because he's still employed for his former team, but Dario Franchini Dario Franchini awesome. was another one, and also he has F, uh, Formula E commitments, but he would just be so perfect for that even yes. if you could get him part-time um i'll tell you some other names that come up rob houghton from the indycar radio team uh came up he's a fellow canadian who is you know at least know when to uh when and when not to post dumb shit online um <laughs> uh, anders crone has come up uh kevin lee has come up um, J.R. Hildebrand, Robert Wickens have come up as potential ideas. You know, they've got a lot of people to pull from just in case they do decide that Paul Tracy and all of his baggage are just not worth it moving forward. Yeah, uh, Steve's mention is not employed like uh re- responding to henry in the discord comments saying that Steve match is employed by fox for formerly uh if I recall, Steve Matchett isn't employed at Fox anymore for Formula E, and I know that Bob Varsha is not employed by Fox either. Bring Bob back Varsha's Uncle actually... Bob. <laughs> yeah, Bob Varsha is employed host. directly by Formula E, just like Dario. Mm-hmm. Oh God, but yeah, Hildebrand would be a good look. Hildebrand would be great. You know, he's got he's got that Stanford education. <laughs> he is a savvy engineer. I think it would be a good fit. I don't think they need to keep Paul Tracy around much longer, especially if he's going to throw you in this much hot water um, going forward. Just my two cents. In a moment where it's like all of ABC's former, you know, analysts, they're also unemployed now. Paul Tracy, this was the worst possible time to do this. So we're totally getting Scott Goodyear back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he is Canadian. Yeah, one for one. <laughs> one for one. And he didn't just get screwed out of one Indianapolis 500. He arguably got screwed out of several. <laughs> also, also, Elio did hold the lead by the time the yellow flag went out. Just putting that out there. You don't have to agree and with you it. Know, yeah. And you know, they count back from the previous lap, just saying. That's true. It's very, very true. Ah, right. Um, Slip the script. Let's go to Formula One, um, and we'll go to something that's also Formula One, and it's also NASCAR flavored, and this is also Fred Watch flavored, because where is Fernando Alonso going to race next year? Is it going to be IndyCar? Is it going to be WC? Is it going to be NASCAR? Is it going to be Formula E? 
Is it gonna be is Super this... GT? <laughs> in my in my head, I'm just playing this off as like this is like the reboot of where in the world is Carmen San Diego. <laughs> Fernando Alonso, two-time Formula One world champion and reigning champion of the 24-hour Le Mans, will do a car swap with seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson at the Bahrain International Circuit on November 26th, one day after the 2018 Formula One season ends in Abu Dhabi. And they did this by uh, by filming a great video of the two uh, of the two just asking questions, like going back and forth, like. You let me drive your car, and they've been teasing <laughs> this for a for a little bit of time. So we're getting another NASCAR Formula One car swap. You may recall this happened with uh, Jeff Gordon and Juan Pablo Montoya back in 2003, Lewis Hamilton and Tony Stewart a few years later than that, and now we have Fernando Alonso and Jimmy Johnson doing a car swap in the Middle East. And Johnson's number 48 Chevrolet is on its way to Bahrain via container ship at this time as we're recording it. Which may or may not be painted up in its brand spanking new purple livery from Ally Financial, his new title sponsor for 2019. Um, It's like, at least Jimmy Johnson's got a title sponsor for the full season next year. (laughs) Yeah, Fernando hasn't had that in about four years. (laughs) <laughs> oh the Vodafone come back I mean I just I kind of feel like it's pointing towards I don't know what this is pointing towards honestly but I, I, I do think this will be awesome to see I think I think it's just going to be a fun day <laughs> it's just going to be a fun day just like Alonzo with the Indianapolis 500 at this case I mean obviously we're not expecting 43 going on 44 year old Jimmy Johnson to make a sudden switch to Formula One anytime soon or anytime ever. But Alonso making the NASCAR switch might seem a little bit more plausible. And hey, he did say he wanted to race a 500 in America, but I think he's leaving the door open as to which one. Yep. Oh, my God. And also, like... Kevin Harvick's going to the championship for. Juan and Texas. People are still kind of mad about this. Speaking of dumpster fires, Williams Racing. Um, they've lost a lot of key personnel. Um, they've lost Felipe Massa. They've lost sponsorship of Martin and Rossi. And now, after the 2018 season, they're going to lose longtime race engineer Rob Smedley, who is leaving the team after this year. Oh, that's got to hurt. It's, it is just a pylon, like, man, it doesn't get better, <laughs> doesn't get better. He is senior head engineer at Williams, and he's going to be leaving the team after this season, compounding a list of problems going on at Williams. The car doesn't work right. Um, the driver situation is a limbo. They have George Russell, and who knows who else is going to be joining them. They are by far and away the last place of all last place teams. The team seems directionless. Uh, The team may look like it has more of a chance of folding entirely than it ever does of regaining the the form that they would have had, hell, about four years ago. Yeah, and it's... I I don't know if it's going to get better next year because literally with Spedley gone, all their technical leadership has 
left because Rob Smedley, uh, head of performance engineering, uh, Dirk DeBeer, head of aerodynamics, and Ed Wood, their chief car designer, are all gone. They're still not getting over the loss of Pat Simmons from 2016. <sighs> but hey, at least they still have Patty Lowe. <laughs> and they totally didn't uh, oversell their title sponsorship, which is how Rich Energy went over to Haas. And either way, I think there's. I should have just took the money. I don't think that money would have come in either case. No. And it's. It's tough. I don't want to see Williams go down a path to ruin like Tyrrell did and Lotus the First did. They got to come up with something. They got to come up with something. They got to start. I'll tell you, if they're making a big recruitment push for 2019, it should have started already. And if they're giving up 2019 to focus on 2020, that's got to start now. You've got a great young driver in your back pocket, George Russell. And if you know, and you know, if they, if they, if he can't get that team out of the basement, just like Charles Leclerc did for Sauber, because we've seen it happen before. Sauber had a plan to get themselves off the campus. They hired the right team principal. They got a smart investment with Alfa Romeo, re-upped their ties with Ferrari and the Fiat Group and brought in the most exciting prospect that's come along in over a decade. They have a plan to get off the board, and it's working out nicely for them. Williams has got to do something similar. But they've they've allegedly been offered that, and they've said no on multiple occasions, because, quote-unquote, they don't want to be a Mercedes B team. I would just, I would bite the bullet, sell sell my soul for a year, if it if it means you stay out of the cellar for at least one season, go for it. Yeah, because let's. I mean, they already got George Russell. Uh, like I, Russell and Ocon would be, you know, a really good pair. That would be great. That would be a great team. But you know, you just yeah, and you know, getting a technical relationship with the the most successful Formula One team over the past four years. Oh, man. And did you see the story about George Russell wanting that 2018 (laughs) drive and trying to plead his case via a PowerPoint presentation that didn't work? Oh, my God. Poor George. Because when I first heard the story, uh, it didn't specify what year it was, so I assumed it was 2019, and I read all the quotes assuming it had worked, where Patty Lowe's like, I've never seen anyone do this before. And and it's like, no, that was for 2018. I'm like, okay, that puts all the comments in a different light. I always Um, sucked at PowerPoint presentations, especially ill-prepared PowerPoint presentations, (laughs) because you think you know the material going in, and then all of a sudden you just run into vapor lock from the second you start talking. Yeah, and you completely forget what slides you made, and the next slide is always a surprise. On a related tangent, Brian Glenn to dip back in the mailbag. Brian asked us 2019 F1 predictions other than the Lu- than the obvious Lewis Hamilton title. Uh, do we think um, do we think Red Bull's staying in the top three? Yes. Uh, by how much of a margin over Renault? It's gotta be close. <laughs> it's gotta be, gotta be close. a little bit closer. I feel we're gonna have a big two, a slightly less big two and then everybody else i'll tell you what sauber's looking good if they keep at this trajectory rate if 
Raikkonen really is having a mid late 30s early 40s career revival and Antonio Giovinazzi picks up right where he left off in 2017 with Sauber that's top five team yep top five team uh to be completely honest, I don't know where Red Bull Honda are gonna shake out. I think it's like just throw, just like just you know shooting, just, just shooting a half. Well, Christian shot, Horner like. says that if the Honda engine is good, that'll help Red Bull fight Mercedes and Ferrari. Of course, forgetting that the Renault parts, the engine was not all the shit that was breaking in the Red Bull cars. Yeah, so it's like anything could happen at Red Bull next year. It's like, yeah. It doesn't matter if you make improvements so your parts are more compatible with the Renault power unit. Once Honda turns up next year, that could all be out the window. It's clearly the engine, y'all. It's strange (laughs) because the Renault engine is not the best, but at least it hasn't let Renault down. McLaren just have other issues with their car, and that's why they've they've gone from being okay to being terrible. Yep, and... Man. But at least the future of McLaren is looking a little bit brighter. They got Carlos Sainz, they're calling up Lando Norris, and now they've called up Lando Norris, it means they've got to restack the McLaren Young Driver Academy. So in steps in, Formula 2 standout, Lando Norris's teammate, Sergio Sete Camera, becoming the newest McLaren Young Driver announced on the weekend of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, good move? great move uh they've they've i i don't know why red bull dropped him in the first place (laughs) oh yeah because the thing is like he was tearing it up in carts uh went from carts straight into formula three had a little bit of struggles then went up to formula two didn't really get going until the second half of of last season in 2017 when he were on the sprint race at spa and finished up seven of his last eight race in the points and he's been very good this season he sits in the points he has one two three four five six seven eight podium finishes um he's been in a in touch of the championship fight for most of the first half of the season i feel like come 2019 he'll be one of the main title threats especially if he can keep on with carlin or at least jump ship to another competitive team yeah because they're going to be a lot of empty season Formula 2 next year. Camera has worlds of untapped potential. Of course, we all remember that finish to that Macau Grand Prix last year. Or he almost had it. <laughs> Habsburg made the pass, but in the end, it didn't matter because they both wrecked and Daniel Tictum won the Macau Grand Prix. Yeah. Oh my god. And and you mentioned it earlier, you know, if um if McLaren wants to come back to IndyCar, I mean, here you have a young Brazilian driver in a series where Brazilian drivers like Elio and Tony Kanaan have thrived before. Yeah, this almost seems like I don't know, it doesn't seem like a it, it seems like they're two sets of Brazilian drivers and rarely do they cross over between F1 and IndyCar. It's either you commit to one or the other, and it would be nice to see this crossover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As well, um, Louis Delatraz is also joining Haas F1 team and getting a test with him very, very soon. I think this time it does matter what Delatraz is doing because he's 
Well, he hasn't had the best of Formula 2 seasons this year. He's got a couple of podiums, but he's showing much better at this stage than his father, John Denise, was in single-seaters. And that's what matters most. Yeah. Right. On to the... On to our next topic of discussion. Yes, what is Delatraz doing? Actually, this time it does matter. Um... We talk, we've thrown shade at Kristen Horner, talked about Williams and McLaren. Oh yes, uh, Formula One is looking like they're going to have a Vietnam Grand Prix in the city of Hanoi from 2020, and we got a first look at the circuit layout. Uh, do you like straightaways? <laughs> it should be, do you like Baku? <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's taken a lot of cues from, uh, from Baku, um, and it is... Uh, it, it looks interesting at least. There's going to be a... Uh, how do you think this would race if this... Again, this is just a proposal that's been floating. I think it would race well. I think when it comes to circuit design, people are unrealistically judgmental of shapes of circuits. So people don't like very narrow designs, especially, you know a straight that leads into a hairpin that leads back down a straight in the other direction. That is very, people don't like that as a feature. Like you met, like Miami had that feature and it was completely panned for that. Oh yeah. And we haven't heard much about Miami. It's been pushed back off of 2019 to 2020 at the very, very earliest. If it goes ahead at all, which is a real shame because we were looking forward to Will Smith and Dwayne The Rock Johnson as co-grand marshals of the Miami Grand Prix. Um, there's also this interesting uh, section of fast sweepers at the at the what I want to say. This is again. This is the uh, this is a post. This is an image that was leaked on um, the F1 subreddit. So I take this with a grain of salt, but it it looks interesting at least. It looks different. Yeah, it looks different. And I think that's, for, for a series that complains about, you know, quote-unquote tokadromes, um, should, maybe you should be a bit excited for something different. Yeah. As Henry points out, um, F1 already has a Daytona-type track in Baku, so now we need a Talladega. Talladega. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to pull a question here from... Uh, from from uh from noted actual racing driver Charles Regenbald, who asked what's who's the next big superstar F1 should book for one of their post race concerts. Uh, Charlie throwing out Charlie at CS. Mm, I think I think to me it would depend where the concert is, especially because the concerts aren't broadcast, which is a shame and a disgrace. Now um, notice they didn't say music superstars. And when I open the door <laughs> this way, I'll tell you, KSI is off the market because he's locked in with Formula E. Because he's going to be part of uh, Formula E's new YouTube race streaming presentation for the United Kingdom that takes place starting with this season. Which is going to be, which, first of all, that's going to be really great because, you know, it'll help bring Formula E races to people in the United Kingdom who otherwise would not have gotten it before. You know, formerly he had always broadcast everything but the race on YouTube, and now you get the race itself. Yeah, and ooh, 
But back to the question. I'm really like, I'm really thinking hard about this. Harder than I thought I would. Oh, man. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. The, the former Filthy Frank, um, now now under the uh, the stage name Joji, um, I'll tell you. First, uh, first Asian rap album, first Asian rap artist to hit the number one in the Billboard Hot 100. That's a real thing that happened. I'm so proud of him. He's come such a long yeah. way. Um, Actually, I think with with F1's, you know, new new emphasis on esports, maybe they should get Drake to do a concert. Oh, just keep him away from Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Formula E is going to have its races streamed on YouTube, um, and it's going to be a good deal. And us in the States are probably still going to get in the, the shit end of the stick because they're still locked Fox Sports 1, unless you could find a good VLC stream. <coughs> or, you know, or, you know, you could, you know, somehow make your internet connection believe that you live in, you know, a different country. That's true. That's true. Not say, of course, these are all very inaccessible things to the average layperson. <laughs> Who else would ever? Oh, yeah. Goodness. Yeah, we, we don't condone any of those viewing methods here at Motorsport 101. The Road to Indy. Two million. And yes, yes, to clarify, Jack Nichols and Dario Franchitti are still doing commentary. Yes. It's Lawrence McKenna and KSI are presenting the... Uh, YouTube pre-race coverage. Uh, so that's uh, so that's a thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't think it'll reach my eyeballs. Road to Indy. No. Road to Indy. Um, we were wondering what would happen now that Mazda backed out their fund. As it turns out, Anderson Promotions are still going to give away two million U.S. dollars in guaranteed scholarships for all rungs of the Road to Indy. Of the USF 2000 Pro Mazda, which is still going to be Pro Mazda, and the Indy Lights champion will get a cool $1.1 million towards a three race IndyCar program, which would include the 500, which is awesome to see. Yeah, it's awesome. They didn't, they didn't do a Champ Car Atlantic circa 2007 on us. Oh, goodness. I, I remember that. Where it's like, yeah, we're gonna give a million dollars to whoever wins, and then and then Rafa Matos is just like, oh, I'll just go to Indy Lights because I can actually get a full time drive with this money. <laughs> and of course, Rafa Matos didn't pan out, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, the uh, the full figures of this, it's gonna be, it's gonna be just north of three hundred thousand dollars. The winner of F two thousand. Uh, just under $600,000 for the winner of Pro Mazda and $1.1 million for Indy Lights and three guaranteed races. Uh, of course, if you win the Pro Mazda title, you move up to Indy Lights by default. If you win the USF 2000 title, you move up to Pro Mazda by default. Of course, there may not be enough seats to go around for all those drivers who are moving on the way up. And that's, you know, that. If that's the if that's the most of the Mazda Road to Indies problems, they're in a good spot. Yeah. <sighs> it, we we don't talk about supercars on the show very much, but um, Adam Johnson's <laughs> sons, Shane Van B- Gisbergen and Scott McLaughlin, are going to war for a championship title this year, and that war took us to the the racetrack at Puka Kohe, New Zealand, and. Uh, 
two interesting things happen. In the first race of a doubleheader, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen might have spun the wheels a little bit, but not a full rotation. So people were upset, like, oh my gosh, that's a slam dunk penalty. You should have been penalized for it. Nope, gets to keep the win. Um, the second more interesting thing happened uh, uh, after, I want to say it was this first race or the second race of the weekend. So in part for me, um, Scott McLaughlin arrives and Shane Van Gisbergen strolls up to park alongside him at Park for May. And he does this by parking close enough to where Scott McLaughlin cannot open his driver's side door because it's blocked by the passenger side door of Shane Van Gisbergen. Oh dear. <laughs> I have never seen this level of pettiness in my life. I, I don't know how to describe what I saw. Like, everything seemed okay until he pulled to a stop. <laughs> yes, the uh, the incident described as Doorgate, we'll call it Dorgazi or Doralago. Uh, yeah, Shane Van Gisbergen pulls up alongside McLaughlin, bosses him out, um, and now they're going to be the two drivers left uh, left to contend for the championship in Newcastle, which for the first time you'll hear us say, and especially not in a Premier League context, boy, aren't we glad we're heading to Newcastle next. <laughs> yeah, we're going to Newcastle, and it's not for an event for Defiant Wrestling. <laughs> we're going to Newcastle, and it's not to watch a, uh, a once- pretty good now terrible team in the premier league that's always under turmoil <laughs> now we get to go to a nice beachside resort a nice beach town it's gonna be fun yeah it's gonna be adam johnson and his two sons uh, potentially falling out and losing any sort of friendship possibility they might have had because that's what happens when you're going for a championship for two of the big juggernauts in the sport. But yeah, like the besides, you know, uh Dor Doralago, on track, they were like they were banging doors. Yeah, I heard about this. They just <laughs> wouldn't give each other any quarter. They were yeah. pissed at each other. <laughs> oh dear, but yeah. It also, back to Doralago, that placard, it it it's not like his car was lined up perfectly with the placard. It's not like he purposely moved over. Yeah. Some would say, oh my goodness, that was deliberate right from the beginning. Like, <laughs> But on the other hand, they kind of left the placard a little, a little bit close to each other. Yeah, a little close. Man. This is going to get so good come Newcastle. I may even have to watch this. Yeah. Probably going to have to watch it live. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be up late. Oh, man. Um, well, we talked about the things which have already happened. Now let's move on to the previews of what will happen. We'll start with um, upcoming Autosport Awards. You have the nominees, King. Yes, I do have the nominees in front of me. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think we're just going to briefly start with the... when. Autosport this year decided to release the nominees day by day for like a week. The last time we talked about it, only one had been released. So I'm just going to go through that one. Racing Car of the Year, where of the six nominees, we had the Audi e-tron FE04, their Audi's you know, car in Formula E, the 
Delara IR18, which the name is gonna piss some people off because that is this year's IndyCar. Some people don't say it's, think it's a new car, but they're gonna classify it the way Delara does. It's a new car. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ferrari SF71H, this year's Ferrari in Formula One, the Mercedes F1 W09 Hybrid, the Toyota TS050 Hybrid, and the Volkswagen IDR Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. All good choices. Yeah, all good choices. I think in terms of just uniqueness, personally, I'm going to vote for the Volkswagen IDR. As would I. But you know that's not how the public's going to vote. And you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> nope, I expect Mercedes to win this one. Yes. Ahead to the next category. Next category. Uh, might as well just do this one next, because it is Rider of the Year. I'm pretty sure they're going to have a much longer discussion about this on Bike Live. Bike Live! And if you back us at $5 level on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, you get access to this show and Motorsport 101. Two shows for the price of one. Two shows for the price of one pledge. So... All but one rider in this category is in MotoGP. And so then there's Johnny off. Ray. <laughs> yes, yes. So, first nominee, Jonathan Ray. Uh, goes without saying who he is. Four straight titles, 71 wins, 134 podiums. We all know And he's Jonathan got Ray. charisma. <laughs> he's got charisma. Okay, other nominees include uh, Cal Crutchlow, Andrea Davizioso, mm-hmm. Jorge Lorenzo, mm-hmm. Mark Marquez, and Valentino Rossi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All good choices. Tough to pick a winner there. I gotta go Marquez. There's, there's... Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, same. It's either him or Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, more on that in Bike Live. Um, Nets, on the Nets category. Next, okay, and... Yeah, next two categories are going to be, like, categories we don't normally talk about on the show, where, uh, yeah, National Driver of the Year. So, it's open to it's open to any driver racing in the British Touring Car Championship, British GT, or uh, Formula 3. So, basically, for, basically Formula 3. So, FIA Formula 3 or GP3. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have Johnny Adam. He's a British GT driver. Uh-huh. Uh, he took his third title this year with a different team yeah and he uh, won it with flick high is flick high nominated on this list she is she's not nominated this award is a sh- this award is a sham. <laughs> it's a sham it's a sham uh we have british touring car driver tom In- ingram also uh the reigning british touring car champion ash sutton as well as british gt runner up phil keen uh uh Three-time, well, yeah, three-time British Touring Car Champion at Colin Turkington. I was going to say, if he wasn't on there since he won this year's title. <laughs> yeah, he won this year's championship. And last but not least, Dan Tictum. Of the European Formula 3 Championship, which is not a British-based championship. Yes, but for some reason they decided that it counts. <laughs> but no Flick High, no Jamie Chadwick, um, not even Billy Monger. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed in you, Autosport. 
On to this next category. <laughs> We're not even going to say he's going to win. This nationalistic um, Greg's Express um, vote leave trash. Just leave that to the ground. Okay, rally car of the year I'm going to do next. So we they split it even 3-3. Three, three. We have three world rally cars and three R5s, which race in the WRC2. So... Of the World Rally cars in contention are the Toyota Yaris, uh, the Honda i20, the, oh, okay, the Ford Fiesta, and the Citroen C3. Of the, of the R5s, the Fiesta is nominated again. Also, and the second R5 is the Skoda Favia. So, yeah, you could vote for the Fiesta twice. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to vote the Yaris. The Yaris has been strong. Can I just vote year. for the Volkswagen Polo again? I know it hasn't been active in years and it's updated the current spec, but when that thing was going, man, that thing was going. I think the PS will win it. Okay. Uh, next category before we hit into the big categories Rally Driver of the Year. Uh, we have. Uh, WRT two drive uh, WRC two driver uh, Jan Kopecki. Uh, we have oh anybody else in WRC two? No, so not, even, not even not even Cali Rovanpera. Nope. <laughs> That's a so heard. of the World Rally stars, we have Atanak, Nouvelle, Yari Mati Latvala, and Sebastian Ogier, and the last nominee. Uh, who won? Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he won the car this year again. Uh, Carlos Sainz. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised, and I don't know if it's because it's rally cross and not traditional rallying. Where's Johan Christofferson? Uh, they only counted rally. That rally cross was excluded. Okay, yeah, then that makes sense. If it's if it's like circuit racing with like dirt and stuff, okay. That would make sense because I'm like, damn, if they if the Rallycross accounted, I'm thinking like, where is Christopherson? No Rallycross competitor got nominated for any award. Mm-hmm. Not even Sebastian Loeb, who actually won a WRC <laughs> rally in the year yeah. 2018 because Sebastian Loeb will never, never stop being awesome. Okay. Oh, dear. So... Next category we're going to go into is actually, yeah, let's do rookie of the year next. Mm-hmm. So, rookie of the year uh, from Formula One, we have Pierre Gasly and Charles Leclerc. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Formula Two, we have Lando Norris and George Russell. Mm-hmm. Seems like Formula E, we have Andre Lauder. And, and IndyCar, we have Robert Wickens. This one will always serve the most debate because, especially. You know, given recent events, Robert Wickens is a huge sentimental pick from a lot of us. That said, if he ends up losing to someone like Charles Leclerc, who is potentially a once-in-a-generation Formula One talent, the man that could easily usurp Max Verstappen, who was seen as the once-in-a-generation F1 talent, there would be no shame in losing to that. Now, yeah. the curious thing is that Andre Lauder, who is pushing 40 at this point, is still considered a rookie. 
<laughs> Pushing 40, won Le Mans three times. Uh, <laughs> Dominated Japan, had, an, had one champ car and one F1 start. Rookie of the year contender in the year 2018. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. My heart says Robert Wickens. My head says uh, it'll by, be Charles Leclerc. Yeah, Charles Leclerc. Like, pretty much runaway vote. Run, runaway rookie of the year in Formula One. Last year, he won the Formula Two championship. The year before that, he won GP3. So, like, he's been. Actually, yeah, he's been. Arguably rookie of the year for the last three for, for this year and the last two. The kid's good. Okay, uh next category British competition driver of the year, open to any British driver competing in categories at the international level. Lewis and... Hamilton takes the victory. <laughs> yes. Lewis Hamilton is obviously nominated. The other the other people who were, were just happy to be nominated were are Gary Paffett, mm-hmm. Paul DeResta, mm-hmm. George Russell, Jensen Button, and Sam Bird. Okay, I changed my vote. Jensen Button gets, gets all <laughs> of my votes. Jensen Button gets all the votes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Lewis is by far the favorite to win. Uh, I Like, without Lewis, you would pretty much say that any of the other five, actually, actually, yeah, Paul Dress had a good year. Any of the other five. Yeah, but Gary Paffett won the championship, and Sam Bird carried a pretty sluggish DJS version to places at no right being. <laughs> yeah. And he's good in GT cars. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's pretty much, I don't know why they let Formula like people competing in Formula 1 be eligible for this award because they're obviously going to win. I mean, they're assuming there's going to be like... Especially if they're a dominant champion. Yeah, it, it, it's not fair. I, I know Britain, Britain needs to acknowledge that there are other people besides Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Would this be a good time to pull another question from the mailbag from uh, from Josh Wilcott who says, um, what do you think is the one thing missing from Formula One? Hint, it's a dating simulator spinoff. <laughs> Ooh. if i had to say something that's missing from formula one uh besides the obvious ones like parody and like cost um, containment cost containment. um getting uh, more eyeballs to the sport by reducing the the number of paywall subscriptions while still making the sport have a revenue stream that can keep it sustainable in the 21st century <laughs> uh improving the streaming service mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh I, I think it would mainly be broadcast related f1 broadcasts are not bad but they could be much better mm-hmm. put put jack nichols on the world feed yeah jack nichols on the wor- world feed it's like i i don't know why people still judge him anytime he makes a comment but please, we need we need Jack Nichols and Jolian Palmer. Yeah. Like, please stop bashing Jolian Palmer. That's good. So the on-track product, uh, bring the radio guys over to the world feed, and um, official F1 dating simulator published by Codemasters. <laughs> published by Codemasters. I'd lo- I'd love a sequel to F1 Race Stars. I would too. <laughs> 
Oddly enough, I come would on, love come that. on, classic cars and F one race cars. Yes, classic F one drivers as well. Ah, uh, but we only have one category to go, mm-hmm. and this is the big one, is it not? Yes, Racing Driver of the Year, open to all professional racing drivers competing at an international level, and pretty much four of the six nominees in fo- are for fo- from Formula One. <laughs> and I want to guess they are in no order, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, and Mats Verstappen, and... No, you are incorrect. Oh, I missed one. <laughs> you are inc- No, our four Formula One nominees are Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian mm-hmm. Vettel, Max Verstappen, and Fernando Alonso. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, the other two nominees are Formula E's Jean-Eric Verne and IndyCar's Scott Dixon. Mm. This one feels like this one's a layup for Lewis Hamilton, but Scott Dixon needs some love, especially for the way he won this championship to win his fifth title. He definitely needs some love for that. And Jean-Eric Fern as well. He was comprehensively great from start to finish. Didn't have a bad race all year. Yeah, he didn't have a bad race all year. Uh, Even though, like... The blurbs that they put to, like, note each nominee are not very... They're not very complimentary to either Dixon or Vern, where, uh, quote, Vern capitalized on Audi's... uh, Audi's climax... Climax... I can't say this word. Climactic. Yes, the start to the to the 2017-2018 Formula E season, and refused to let go of the top spot once he sees the stand the the standings lead. He topped the win and pole tally with four each to score his first title since taking the 2010 British Formula Three Championship. On on Dixon's side, they said that Dixon quickly adapted to the 2018 IndyCar package and led a solo charge against Penske and Andretti's bigger lineup. This great, his greatest asset uh, asset was knowing when to push for a win and when to settle for points, allowing him to defeat breakthrough star Alexander Rossi to the crown. And this is in comparison to uh, Alexander uh, to. <laughs> to Johnny to Johnny Ray's little blurb where you know how I mentioned earlier all his wins, championships, and podiums. That was in his blurb, even though he did not do that this year. That was from his entire career. And I would guess Alonzo's stature is boosted by the fact that he also won the twenty four hours Le Mans on top of um wheeling whatever he can out of that McLaren. Uh yeah, so pretty much the blur for Alonzo, another year, another list of Alonzo superlatives, has ended Stoffel Van Dorn's career with his relentless brilliance and also won Le Mans oh, at his first put, attempt. Don't. Fernando Alonzo would never. Alonzo himself wouldn't do that. Don't put that evil on Stoffel Van Dorn out of That is a direct quote, no hyperbole. Oh my god. <laughs> This is the shit that's going to make me sour on Fernando Alonso after 15 years of unwavering support. This is the shit right here. Where, they, where Autosport, quote, a lot, like, has ended Stoffel Van Dorn's McLaren career with his relentless brilliance. 
He's been good. Alonzo's also been added a huge advantage, and Van Dorn is not. See, this is... I... I... I don't not not like Fernando Alonso. I love Fernando Alonso. Yeah, I love... But they are hyping this dude way too much. And this is coming from the show's resident (laughs) Alonso stand. Maybe you just take a step back. Who's going to calm down. He's going to cry the whole time when he watches Abu Dhabi and he breaks down by lap three. (sighs) I think Lewis Hamilton's got this one. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton's got this. We could always see a surprise, though. Always see a surprise. So uh, I'm pretty sure if... I'm pretty sure anyone can vote. You just need to go to autosport.com. The direct the direct address is awardsvoting.autosport.com. Do you need a, a plus subscription to do it? No, you don't. Oh, okay. Okay. We have a excuse me, we have a Formula One race in Brazil this weekend. One that Lewis Hamilton has only won once ever. Last year it was Sebastian Vettel, who's won two of the last five years. Uh, in between, Rosberg won it in 2014-2015. Oh, actually, uh, quick correction. Yes, you do need to have an Autosport Plus subscription to uh-huh. vote. Aha, uh-huh. I was about to... That's that's the reason why I asked. Um, and what does the forecast call for Sao Paulo this weekend? I'm about to go ahead and pull that up. Friday, light rain. Saturday, thunderstorms. Sunday, thunderstorms if this holds up and it's tuesday now we could be in for a wet and wild brazilian grand prix yeah anything could happen anything could happen valtteri botas could even be allowed to win a race (laughs) anything can happen felipe massa could get another retirement ceremony he, he's already retired. Oh, yeah. Wet race in Interlagos is, it's usually pretty good, if uh, especially if races like 2012 are any, any indication. Which, by the way, did you watch uh, the, the live watch-through of the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix? Yes, who didn't? Who didn't? I'm pretty sure the numbers peaked on YouTube at like 45,000 concurrent viewers. Yeah. Um, here's a pro tip for that race. First 65 laps, pretty routine. It's once you get to five laps to go, that's when the heat gets turned up. That's when the heat gets turned up, and man, the live chat only had one thing to say. Is well, that, one thing to ax. Is that Glock? <laughs> is that Glock? <laughs> oh god, I saw somebody just, just clip the the live chat room and post it as, as a gif on the F1 subreddit with just the title guys I think it's Glock <laughs> I can't wait for the adult firm film version of this take is that co- <laughs> oh my god eggplant emojis eggplant emojis um, before emojis. we get ourselves fired we also have a another championship to be decided in the world of Super GT Motegi GT Grand Final. Are you staying up to watch this? Yeah, because the gloves are going to be off. The gloves are off. Theoretically, it's winner take all. The top two teams in the championship lets his team keeper Toms and Raybird team Kunimitsu tied on points. 
Uh, the winner will take the title in theory, but if they both screw up, that opens the door for Let's' team AU Toms and Autobax Racing Team Aguri to swoop in and take the title. And in GT300, Autobax Racing Team Aguri's BMW has a 12-point lead and just needs to finish fourth or better to wrap up the championship. Um, this race will be on, I want to say, 11.30 at night Saturday. It'll be a two-hour race, 53 laps. It's going to be fun. We'll also have the last race for the Toyota Prius GTs. Rip. Yeah, the mid-engine Toyota Priuses are going away, but I can tell you that there is a successor model in place. Uh, I can say this because I did pick up the latest issue of Race Car Engineering Magazine, and I can tell you that its replacement car is it's a Toyota Prius GT. Ooh, thank God. <laughs> what they're what they're gonna do is they're gonna move the engine to the front since now that's required. Uh. <laughs> um, and the V8 is not gonna be the RV8K. It's gonna be the 5.4 liter V8 from the Lexus RCF GT3. But it's still gonna have a super capacitor hybrid, and it's still gonna be a Prius race car. Okay. And that is gonna be a ton of fun to watch. We also have a few last um, questions to get to. Uh, Resi Raspati asks, what are y'all's picks for the best Formula E circuits of all time, and why is it Punta del Este? Because Punta <laughs> del Beste. Yeah, Punta del Beste. Um, Kelly Bone asks, with this news of F1 going to maybe Vietnam and the Netherlands in the future, which country would you like to see host more big-name motorsport event, either on two wheels or four? Hmm. Um, that's hard that's hard south africa's got to be coming up for at this point if kailami's up for uh has been renovated is it too yeah. is it too early to say sepang because it seems to have found its niche on bikes and bikes only. yeah it, it's it, it feels like it's bikes it, it feels like besides singapore southeast asia has kind of hitched their wagon to bikes maybe we could try south korea again and maybe yeah, we can try, try Finland. Ooh, yeah, with the Kimmy ring. Yes, not that Kimmy. Yeah, Kimmy with a Y. Yes, and and not at the end, in, after the after the K. And um, to wrap things up, and we wanted to save this question for last. Uh, to close this show on a high note, from uh, from from F one Internet, um, Twitter, social medias. Number one favorite fan artist, Haley Mulch asked, who was the driver we should fin a nut for in 2019? Uh, part of me is like, there should be only one answer. It should be Charles Leclerc. I'm, I'm biased, but yeah, Charles Leclerc is going to be my boy next year. You know what? That ain't a bad pick. That ain't a bad pick at all, my friend. I... I think it's just like, you know, Charles Leclerc just seems on the surface to be perfect in every way. Great driver, wonderful personality, you know, generally speaking, harmless as all hell, has a great backstory. People want him to succeed. People want him to succeed in spite of the fact that he's going to a team that has bottled countless opportunities to succeed in the ultimate manner. It's like, man, 
it's kind of like that, you know, stereotypical, yeah, kid, you're you're a big fish in this little pond, but you're about to go into an ocean full of piranhas. Who in the hell other that is not wearing orange or Red Bull shirts is going to be rooting against Charles Leclerc this year? <laughs> Monsters. That's about it. Yeah, that about settles it. We discussed all the things that have passed this week and, of course, everything that is to come this week. Um, enjoy a great rake of racing ahead. Andre Harrison will be back for this upcoming episode of... No, no, no. We got, we got one, oh, one last oh, question. Oh, oh. One last question. As, uh, uh, from from friend of the show, uh, Sasha left us a question. Has uh, Aston Martin to DTM been covered in an episode? I want to say it has. It has, but we didn't go into full details so about it. We mentioned when it came up as a rumor, mm-hmm. but I think we should also clarify that this is not... The, it, it's not a factory Aston yeah. Martin program. So it's not a DTM. factory program. Aston Martin has licensed our motorsports to use an Aston Martin Vantage silhouette in the DTM series. Yes, and I believe our motorsport will be in a partnership with the former... Mercedes factory DTM team, uh, HWA. Yeah. So it, there, there's going to be a learning curve for them, but it, hopefully the learning curve isn't too steep. Yeah. And also Aston Martin uses Mercedes ro- engines in their road cars. So it's a good fit. Um, it's a good synergy already. Okay. Class one's going to be so- weird next year. <laughs> so weird. Honda might ditch the mid-engine NSS to go with a front-engine car with an NSS silhouette, and that's just going to feel weird. Is this how Corvette fans feel about the idea of them putting the C8's engine behind the driver's seat? Yeah. <laughs> uh, be more competitive, but it's going to feel weird. Yeah. Places you can find us. We are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow our personal handles, we are at Harrison101HD. Harrison Andre will be back for uh, for Bike Live uh, on the Motorsport 101 network. Um, we are also at RJ O'Connell and at Ryan Eric King with two Ks. If you wish to follow back us financially you can at patreon.com slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to both our shows ten bucks you can listen to the shows as they're being recorded um and of course it's all in one hub at motorsport 101.com we've gotten through everything we'll be back next week for episode 169 nice where we'll wrap where we'll talk about brazil Amotegi and other things that may come that we might have missed because it didn't get in the recording window this week. Um, Including Andre Harrison. <laughs> yeah. No, Dre's not going to be here for next week's episode either. we oh, got to yeah. hold this show down for the Fortnite. <laughs> the Fortnite registered trademark of Epic <laughs> Games. Uh, right. So uh, for Andre Harrison, who will be back for Bike Live, and for Ryan Eric King, I've been RJ O'Connell. Thank you so much for listening to Motorsport 101, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Later, y'all! Bye!
So, since Stray isn't going to be here next week, how about all you listening? If you have any suggestions for who you want to replace Stray next week, you know, you can shoot us a comment or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, uh, we got some we got some good suggestions floating out here. Um, you know, we got a lot of uh, <laughs> we got a lot of big names coming up there. How about we propose he- 